Good morning, all. Great to see you. Hey, it didn't snow, so that's really good. And we're hardy Hoosiers. We can handle it no matter what happens. So we're good to go. Welcome to Upside Down. We've been doing this uh, for a number of weeks now. I want to say greeting to all of you here in the 180 gym and also next door in the sanctuary. We're glad you're here with us. want to uh, use as our text this morning from the New Testament book of Philippians. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, and it is filled with uh, very important details. And today's text from the third chapter is a portion of the Apostle Paul's testimony, his story, his witness to what God had done in his life. And what I want to do this morning is I want to uh, consider again what normal people do with their religion, uh, the, the way that normal people try to find God, and the different way, the upside down way that God has actually provided us so that we can know him more fully. So today Paul will give us some insight into this important difference, and it's found in Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 4 through 9. And remember the first portion of this text is the Apostle Paul bragging on all of his religious activities and then the last portion is about what it really means to have a dynamic relationship with God and how you can acquire that. So Philippians 3, as you're able to stand, I'll invite you to do that. We're going to project the words on the screen. And this is Paul's story. He said, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, may God inspire us today through this important word. You may, may be seated. Thanks so much. Religious people have to overcome the tendency to be normal. As well, I heard the story of a mother who went in to wake up her son for church and she went in and jostled him a bit and said, get up, it's time for church, you're going to be late. And he kind of mumbled, rolled back over. So a few minutes after that, she went in and now more vigorously grabbed him and shook him and said, now, you need to get up. You're going to be late for church. And he mumbled and said, look, I don't want to go to church. And she said, well, why don't you give me two good reasons why you shouldn't go to church? He said, fine, I'll give you two if you give me two good reasons why I should go. She said, all right, it's a deal. And he said, well, number one, I don't like those people down there at that church. And number two, they don't like me. He said, so give me your two reasons why I should go. And she said, well, first of all, you're 42 years old. <laughs> and second of all, you're the pastor. <laughs> yeah. We have to uh, be honest today in our world. When it comes to schedules, normal means overwhelmed. It means stressed out. It means panicked. It means hectic. When it comes to finances, normal is broke. Normal is paycheck to paycheck. Normal is always feeling stress over financial things. When it comes to normal in relationships, it's about stressful dysfunction. 
Half of all marriages end in divorce. Many other marriages stick together just for the sake of the children. You know, you kind of muscle it out without that residual intimacy that's so important. When it comes to life today, it's normal to believe that there's got to be something more. And people go on a search for that more. And most people in our culture today actually try materialism as an alternative for happiness. And, and they believe that if you can accumulate enough nice stuff, then, then you'll be fulfilled. But, of course, that never quite satisfies. So it's normal to be spiritually empty. And we agree that when you look at the way people are doing life in today's culture, normal isn't working anymore. We've, we've been considering as the foundation of this entire series the teaching of Jesus. We found this teaching in Matthew chapter 7. I want to project those words on the screen for you because it's so foundational to what we've been considering. He said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many, many enter through that. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So Jesus actually taught us that there's a broad road. It's wide. It's broad. Many people, most people are going down that road. He said, but that's not good because that road leads to destruction. But he said there's a narrow gate and a narrow road, and that if you get on that narrow road, even though there are fewer people there, the good news there is that it leads to life. The narrow road leads to life. Let me ask you a question today. Does it matter what road you're on? Does it matter what road you're on? It matters, doesn't it? These are sobering words from Jesus. I mean, it's hard for us. We, we, we struggle to get our minds around it in today's modern culture. You know, we, we, uh, we just have attitudes and perspectives and worldviews that are, that are so different from the classical, scriptural, historical worldview. And so people struggle with the notion. You know, we just figure that there's so many people going down the broad road, that must be the right way. It's where everybody's going. That's what everybody does. That's how everybody thinks. That's what everybody believes. So we'll just, you know, there's comfort in numbers. So we're just going to stay on the broad road where most people are, normal people are. But Jesus said, no, that road leads to destruction. The narrow road where few people are, that's the one that leads to life. And so from time to time, we'll see people who actually stop and ask the question, is, is the road I'm on, is that the right road? And they realize, well, actually, I'm, no, I'm on the wrong road. I'm on a road that Jesus said would lead to nowhere. So I want to jump off the broad road and get on the narrow road. And people actually do that. And they flip their world upside down and they change their perspective and they, and they say yes to the better plan of God for their lives. And the culture around them doesn't understand them because they're so different and they look different and they act different and they behave differently and they believe differently. And so people ostracize them and, and impugn them and sometimes persecute them. But they don't mind because they actually find some comfort in that. Jesus reminded us, hey, look, they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. And so people get on the narrow road because they know that that is where life and fulfillment and satisfaction is found. And so that's what they do. Today I want to look at the way the world, normal people, view God. And then I also want to look at a different view of God that is perceived by those on the narrow road. And I want to make that distinction today because it's so important that we have the right view of our relationship with God. If you're taking notes, you'll find on your outline two main points. And the first one is this, two views of God. The first one is religion. Religion is man's normal attempt to reach God. Man's normal attempt to reach God. Think about it. Religion... 
Virtually every world religion has its own set of external man-made religious rules with trying to please God. And it doesn't matter what religion you pick. You can pick anyone. Pick a big one, pick a small one, pick a medium-sized one. They are all virtually the same. If you behave a certain way, if you believe a certain list of things, if you do these things and not do these other things, then you can perform your way to God. I'm a good boy. I'm a good girl. I follow the rules, and so I must be acceptable to God. You know, I pray this way, and this is the best way. I kneel in this direction when I pray, so that gets me points. Or I go to church on this particular day, or I was baptized a certain way, or I don't, I don't see this type of mu uh, movie, or I do these kinds of religious behaviors. And religion then becomes externally focused. It's as it's if I behave a certain way, then I will please God and be acceptable to God. What happened is that Jesus came on the scene and he turned this whole thing upside down. He flipped it on its head. Jesus comes on the scene and he, and he began to deal with religious people. There was a, a band of religious people in his day called the Pharisees. You've probably heard of them. They were very legalistic. They had a very strict set of rules. Uh, you know, the Old Testament law has over 600 rules. The Pharisees added hundreds of their own. And so they were very strict that way. And Jesus said to them, you know, you remind me of a cup that looks really good on the outside. It's all clean and shiny on the outside because all the external evidence of your life, you know, the way you dress and the way you behave and the way you act out in public, it looks all nice and clean. But he said, the thing that's most meaningful to God is your relationship with him, your heart toward God, your attitude toward God. And so he said, the inside of your cup, it's filthy. You've missed the point. It's not about how good you look on the outside. It's, it's really about how your life actually is on the inside. I want to share a verse of scripture with you from Isaiah 29. It's verse 13. I'll put it on the screen for you so you can see it. Here's what the Lord says. He said, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Now, Religious external efforts to please God is what happens. And so we can, we can easily get distracted from our real relationship with God and the attitude of our heart toward Him by doing perfunctory things and following the rules and, and uh, giving the right impression. And if you were honest, sincerely honest with yourself today, let me ask you this question. Would you say that your heart is close to God? Or not so close to God. Maybe you're a very religious person. Maybe you're always in attendance. Maybe you do the right things and you say the right things and you, you give the right impression. But let me ask you, is your heart really close to God? Maybe you're a person, you're, you would say, well, look, I'm not particularly religious at all. You know, I'm here by invitation. I'm not even, I'm not even sure why I'm here. And if I was really honest with myself, I'd say, look, I'm not religious. I'm not close to God. I don't, my heart's not close to God. No, I'm not close to God. I want you to think about that. Let me tell you about religion just for a little bit. Because it's so easy to get distracted by it. Religion always leads to two places. Inevitably, every time, it always takes you here either to pride or to despair. That's in your outline there. You might want to write those two words down. It always takes us, leads us to pride or despair. Let's start with pride and talk about that. I bet a lot of you know some prideful, holier-than-thou, kind of self-righteous people. You ever met people like that? They, 
They just, you know, they give the impression they're, they're better than you. Have you ever met people like that? Don't point. Just <laughs> you raise your hand. Yeah, we all run into people like that because their attitude is, I'm right, you're wrong. I do it right, you do it wrong. I have the right beliefs, you don't. And, so, and they give this impression. My wife, Beth, uh, just a handful of weeks ago, she encountered a man who she thought might benefit from her professional services and engaged him in a conversation. And over the course of several minutes, the conversation kind of turned, you know, and he actually turned it toward religious things. By the way, uh, Beth and I kind of have a rule in our lives that we don't wear our Christianity on our sleeve. By that, I mean we don't, uh, we don't, we don't put that out there first. It's... It's something that we like to have happen in relationships in a more natural way. We like to think that the integrity of our lives provide a foundation, a cornerstone for influence in the lives of other people. So if people can't see a difference in our lives, if we're, then, then what we say really won't matter too much. So we, we want to live authentically in front of people, but we always are ready at the appropriate time whenever God gives opportunity to share a compelling verbal witness for Christ. So you live well, and then you're on the ready to share a compelling verbal witness when God gives you an opportunity. Because faith actually does come by hearing, hearing by the words of God. And so people benefit from hearing the truth from a person whose life is authentic. And so that's kind of the way we go through life. So we, we, don't, we don't have a lot of, you know, we don't have any bumper stickers on our car, stuff like that. And that's nothing wrong with that. So so, so she was in conversation with this guy, and, and so the conversation after several minutes kind of went that way, and that allowed her to then say, yes, I am a Christian person. The next thing this man said was, well, I doubt it because you don't follow the book. Beth said, what do you mean? And the man said, you don't follow the Bible because you have your hair cut short. Really? Really? So you want to go there? <laughs> wow. And it was, it was, you know, disruptive to her because of, her because of his attitude and his, you know, his demeanor and this religious uh, perniciousness that he was displaying. And when she got home, she was a little bit upset. We talked about it a little bit. And I said, what you should have said is, well, actually, I'm recovering from cancer treatment. My hair has just grown back to this length just to see what he would say. <laughs> Jesus uh, told a story in Luke chapter 18. He said, look, there were two guys who went into the temple to pray. One of the guys was a Pharisee, and another guy was a sinful tax collector. And the Pharisee goes in, and he's standing up, and he's praying. He said, oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, like this sinner, this tax collector here. And as you know, I live a righteous life, and I pray, and I give my tithes and offerings, and I'm just all that. And the tax collector's down there. He's going, man, this guy is pretty impressive. And I'm just a lowly sinner. And so he just said, God, you know, I, don't, I know I don't have much of a chance. But if there's any chance at all, I'm, I just want you to know I'm sorry for my sins. And please help me to do better. And Jesus told this story. And the Pharisees were listening to this story. And Jesus said, you know, when God finally uh, listened to all those prayers, he said he, he didn't accept the prayer from the Pharisee because he missed the whole point. And he heard the prayer of the lowly tax collector, the sinner. And he says, and he went away forgiven. And everyone is put on their head. 
Everything is flipped upside down. It's an amazing thing. And religion, it leads to pride. It can lead to pride. And it's not a good thing. Let me just let's say this one more thing. If your need to be right and correct becomes greater than your need to extend love and mercy to a person you're in relationship with, if your need to be right, well, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm correct, you're incorrect. If, if that ever supersedes your need to love and accept and forgive the person you're in relationship with, then you've missed Jesus. You missed the point. Because religious people can become prideful people, and, and the rules and regulations can puff people up and leave them with the sense that I'm in better shape with God because I perform better than the guy next to me. Hmm. No. And the other thing this leads to, not just to pride, but religion always leads to despair. Let me explain that. It's like, I'm not good enough. It's like, it's like the tax gatherer in the prayer room with the Pharisee, with the preacher. And the tax gatherer's just going, you know, I'm never going to measure up. There are other people, they're religious, and they get it right, but man, not me. I mean, I can't even get to church, you know, you know two weeks in a row. I decide, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to church. I'm going to church this month, and I miss three weeks of the month. I just can't measure up. I'm not going to make it. I'm just, and you know, I know you're not supposed to cuss, but every time I play golf, <laughs> you know what happens? Actually, cussing when you play golf, that's okay, because it's just, it's, the ball is too small, the hole is too small. It's not right. I'm sorry, off the subject. There, there are people, people who get in despair because they don't, they don't understand prayer. You know, they, they go, prayers, you know, that's a good idea. That's a good thing, talking to God. That's, that's like good, and people should do it. I get that, but I'm just, I'm, I'm no good at that. And there are people that I know who pray all the time. They actually go to prayer meetings. They go to a meeting just to pray. I can't even get my mind around that. I mean, I try to pray. I can't pray for 30 seconds. I tried the Lord's Prayer once. I said, and give us this day our daily bread. And the next thing I go, bread. We need bread. We're out of bread at home. <laughs> and the oil needs change in the car. And the, and the next thing I know, I, I have ADD when I pray. I can't stay on point for 30 seconds. And so... I just end up in despair. And that's what religion does. It puffs us up, it makes us proud, or it makes us feel despair. And that, my friends, is man's normal approach to God. Folks on the broad road are the ones who are, who are confused about this because they think religion is the way to God. And it's not. It's not. Let me describe to you a different way to God if I can this morning. I want to make it as clear as I possibly can because it's so important. Religion, while it's normal, it's normal for most people in their attempt to reach God, God's actually devised a really upside-down way to reach people. And I want to describe it to you. It's the second point in your outline. You might want to write this down, that God's way for us to get close to him is through his son Christ. Christ, God's upside-down way to reach man. Our text from Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, you know, I was really religious. He said, I have, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day, people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. 
As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. So he, he, he offers his own religious resume, and it was spotless. Now, you may be saying, what, what does all that mean? Here's what he's saying. I was raised by the best. I had the best lineage. I had the best education. I was mentored by the best. I was on the best behavior. Uh, translated in our world today, here's what the Apostle Paul was saying. Look, I was born in a pastor's home, raised in a pastor's home, went to a Christian school, finished at the top of my Bible school. I only listened to K-Love Radio, no secular music. I was baptized by Billy Graham in the Jordan River, and the Pope was standing on the shore making funny hand gestures at the same time. <laughs> He's saying, I did it all. You can't get any more religious than what I did. I had it all. And then here's what he says in verse 7. He flips this whole story on its head, and this is what he says. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Can you hear that? And now what he's about to say is the most upside down thing ever. Verse 8. What is more, he said, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of what? Of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law by following all the rules but that which is through faith in Christ. Then this summary statement, hear it. In the righteousness that comes from God is by faith. And so he clarifies for us, this is what it's about. It's not about religious performance. It's not about dutiful living. It's about an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It is about the righteousness of God that comes from God. See, I can't I can't become righteous. I can't get right with God. I can't be in right standing with God based on my own merits. So God's righteousness has to come from God himself, and it comes from God, and it's realized, it's activated, it's made personal to me by faith. I don't earn it. I don't deserve it. I can't achieve it. I can't perform great enough to inherit it, but I can be the recipient of it if I receive it by faith. Wow. It's a very interesting concept. Now, what I'm about to tell you is going to bother some of you more traditional religious people. In fact, when you leave here today, you're going to say, I can't believe you spent so much time talking about this. But I want to focus on one word that the apostle uses in Philippians 3. And it's there in verse 8. He said, I consider all of this rubbish that I may gain Christ. The Greek word for rubbish, translated rubbish there, is the Greek word skubala. Some of you have heard me talk about this. Skubala is actually a word that isn't strictly translated rubbish. Some of your translations call it dung. It is actual human or animal excrement. That's the literal translation. Most of us in American vernacular would translate it literally as a word that you can't say when you're preaching. It's a word that begins with the letters S-H and ends with the letters I-T. You don't know how bad I want to say that word. <laughs> the best thing we can do is if we had a bumper sticker of it, it would say, Scubala happens. <laughs> now, here's the challenge. For a lot of people today, you're like, well, wait a minute, I've got my religious beliefs. I mean, I, I actually do. I believe in God. Heck, I believe in Jesus. You know, I got that. 
but I've worked out a deal with God. You know, we have an arrangement. I believe, I really do, but he knows that there are certain things that I like, certain things that I prefer. So, look, I don't go around acting all religious about it, uh, like devoting to God every day. I don't pray unless I, you know, really need some help. And I don't worship God every week. I don't go to church. That's kind of old-fashioned. Nobody does that anymore, do they? And so I, ha I have this deal with God. And I, and I certainly don't, I don't offer myself, really, in any way to advance the cause of God. I mean, my time, my talents, my treasure, you know, this odd speak, isn't it? The somehow giving that part of my life to, the, to advance the cause of Christ in the world, I don't do any of that. I've got this, I've got this very... I've got this very specialized relationship with God. We've sorted it out. You know, God and I have an arrangement. We have a deal. And that's, that's how I go through my life. Well, let me, let me tell you what you have, if, if, I've, if that's generally describing your experience. Basically, what you have is a very organized pile of scubala. <laughs> that's what it is. Some of you, but, but I've got more religion than most people. In fact, I... Come on, Pastor Greg, I actually, I go to church. Now, I, now I'm not, you know, I'm not fully devoted to Jesus, you know, like some people are, but I go to church and I pay money once in a while. I mean, I, I'm a pretty good guy, but wait, I'm not so sure that's a good thing. What you may have is just a bigger pile. Some of you, you're really proud of your pile. And so you put a little flag in it. It's a little flag in your pile to distinguish your pile from other piles. You may put a little Baptist flag in your pile, a little Church of Christ flag in your pile, a little Methodist flag in your pile, a little crew flag in your pile, a little Union Chapel flag in your pile. You're so proud of your pile because you've got a flag in it. But it's still a pile. I want to say it so bad. Some people in our culture today... You say, oh, I'm a very spiritual person. You hear that a lot. Very spiritual person. And you may be in touch with spiritual things. It could be. You know, lots of folks like to get in nature, get out in the stand of trees, get out in the forest, and you feel very, I feel very spiritual. There's a reason why you feel spiritual out in the stand of beautiful trees. It's because you're in touch with a creator God who made those trees. What people do is they get confused. They think they're in love with the tree, so they go over and they hug up a tree. They'll die for that tree. But they're missing the point because they're, they're worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Their affections are slightly misplaced. And so they become a very spiritual person. And people talk about this and they say it out loud. And you hear people all the time in our culture saying, I, I'm, not, I'm not really a person who believes in any kind of organized religion or any specific faith. I, I, but I am a very spiritual person. And some of, some of these folks are very creative in their spirituality. And rather than accepting, accepting the Methodist pile, they make up their own pile. So they, they, take, some, they take some from the Christian faith because Christianity has a lot of good about it. But there's some things in the Bible that I just don't agree with, and so I can't accept that. And so I reject that portion of, of, of the faith called Christian uh, but I studied in my comparative religions class about Buddhism, and that was interesting to me. And it's pretty cool. You know, I've got some friends who are really interested in Buddhism. So I, so, so I combine a little Christianity with a little Buddhism and New Ages. You know, that is really, 
that's really an intriguing kind of concept and world worldview. And so, so I take a little new age in there. So I've got some Christianity and I got some Buddhist and I got some new age and all that. And you mix it all together and you go, I've got my own pile. And this is my own religion. And so I say, great, a pile of combined poop. That's what it is. So you just mix up your own poop. Make a pile. Put your own little flag. I'm spiritual flag right there on your, on your pile. Mm-hmm. But here's what the Apostle Paul is teaching about your religion. Here's the deal. You can take your pile, whatever it is, and you can put sprinkles on it, or you can baptize it, or you can bronze it and set it on a mantle at home. But it's still a pile. That's what religion is. It's our external attempt to please God. And, and the Apostle Paul said, it's a pile of scubala. Then he goes on to say, he, he just calls it what it is. He said, I consider all of this scubala that I may gain Christ. He who has an ear, let him hear this. Not gain religion, not gain another notch in your relationship with God. You know, I just take two notches closer to God. You know, I must, I must be really impressing him by now. Not to gain religion, no. He says, and be found in him. To know him and be found in him. And don't miss this. He said, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from being a dutiful little boy, according to the law. In other words, I'm not made right with God because I externally did all the law says. He says, my righteousness is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God is by faith. This is really, this is really different. This is really radical. And, and what he just said turned the religious world from which he came upside down. They said, that's heresy. You can't say that. That's not normal. That's not right. We all know that it's how we behave that makes us right with God. But then he goes on to say, you want to know the purpose of the law? He said, you guys think that adhering to the law is what makes you right before God. But he said, it's not. The whole purpose of the law was to remind all of us that we cannot measure up. We can't do it. You're not good enough, and you never will be. Someday if you're bored, and you, and you wonder, just how am I doing? How am I measuring up? Just take this little quiz. You don't have to go through all 600 laws of the Old Testament. Just take the top 10. Take the 10 commandments, and just go through that list someday, just to see how you're doing, see how you're measuring up. And the first one is, of course, you'll have no other gods before me. So ask yourself, have I ever in my life ever put something or someone ahead of my relationship with God? The law says, don't steal. Have I in my life ever stolen anything? The Bible says, don't lie. Have I in my life ever told a lie? <laughs> you go through the whole list, and you know what? Every last single one of us in this room and every last single human being that has ever lived has flunked every aspect of the test. Every one of us have utterly failed to measure up to the standards. And Paul reminds us, the reason for the law isn't so that we'll be good little boys and girls. The reason of the law is to act as a mirror just to remind us how far we've fallen and how far we are from God's goodness. 
and how impossible it is for us to achieve the righteousness necessary to be in right connection with God. And so, and, and so he reminds us that we're nothing but lying, thieving, adulter, idolaters. Purpose of the law is to show us that we can't fulfill it. And so Paul says, so here's the point. Once you understand that you're far from the measurement, here's the good news. There is another righteousness. It's not one that you earn or deserve, but it's one that comes from God. And I hope you'll hear it. I hope you're hearing it already today. And some of you will be hearing it for the first time, but others of you, you've heard it your whole life so much that your heart has become just a little casual and cold toward it. You're participating in the traditions of men, but you're missing the power of the gospel in your heart. You understand it in your head because you can, you can pronounce some of the things that are important to believe, but, but your heart is cold and it's hard and it's not soft before God. Remember, religion, it's about you. But a genuine faith is about what God has done and what God provides for us. For God so loved the world that he sent his son into this world, born of a virgin. Let me just remind you, that's only happened one time. And there are people in our culture today, there are lots of voices saying, oh, come on, you don't believe that old myth, that old tradition, that old stuff, and that old book, that irrelevant book called the Bible. You don't believe that, you don't believe that a guy was born of a virgin and that's not even possible. Come on. Well, let me just, let me just say, I, I'm, I'm full grown and I haven't been institutionalized yet. I actually believe the Bible to be true. I believe the Bible speaks to us the truth of God, the revelation of God, his divine revelation to us. I believe that almighty God is big enough to actually convey to us in a tangible way, his truth, his word. And so I believe the Bible true. And so the Bible suggests that there was a virgin birth one time and there's rationale for that. The rationale was so that Jesus wouldn't inherit the sin nature of an earthly father and instead the heavenly nature of his heavenly father. And that's exactly what he did. And therefore God in the flesh, his son, was, it was possible for him to live a sinless life. And when he got old enough, he began to teach, teach things that amazed people. And it was so otherworldly, so different, so upside down. He said things like, if you want to be the greatest, then you serve. Or if you want to be the most important, you should be the least. If you want to be first, you need to be last. If you give, he said, it will be given to you. He said, if you want to find your life, you have to lose it. If someone hits you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. If someone hurts you, then bless them in return. If someone insults you, you pray for them. If someone betrays you, you forgive them, not just one time, but 70 times seven. And the world looks on and says, that's the most upside down thing I've ever heard in my life. The world's never heard such upside-down teaching. And he said, if you want to follow me, then you need to pick up your own cross. Deny yourself and follow me. He said one day with his boys, his disciples, he said, look, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. I said, what is he talking about? What do you mean, destroy the... Someone's going to destroy the temple, and then he's going to rebuild it in three days? He said, what is... I don't... He's... He's different. What does he mean? And guess what the religious people of the day did? They despised him. They hated him. People on the normal road, they, they, wanted, they wanted to follow the rules. They, they wanted to keep 
They wanted to keep him in his place and everybody else in their place, but Jesus kept annoying them by going outside of the rules all the time. For example, you're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath, not even lift a finger on the Sabbath. You're supposed to rest on the Sabbath. Great. Well, Jesus went about doing his work on the Sabbath, and he's healing people and performing miracles on the Sabbath, and people hated him for it. I mean, he was opening blind eyes and unstopping deaf ears and raising the dead, and religious people despised him. And, and they couldn't stand him, and they turned on him, and they criticized him. And you know what Jesus did instead? He just, he just started befriend, befriending other people, people like you, people like me, liars and thieves and idolaters, people who sin radically. He befriended prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners and the lowest of the low and the outcasts of society. Jesus just saddled right up next to them, and he loved all these bad people. And you know what happened? These bad people were transformed. It was an awesome thing. The most uneducated people, people who weren't accessible to the best schools, they left everything the Bible said and began to follow him. They found him irresistible, so compelling, and they began to drop everything in order to follow him. And Jesus said, if you'll follow me, I will use you, you ordinary, average, sinful people. I'll use you to change the world. And that's exactly what he did. How upside down is that? How upside down is that? And then one day he became obedient, even death on a cross, and he allowed one of his own Judas to be betray him with a kiss. How different. And he turned himself in, and he allowed the creation to abuse him. The creator, by driving stakes through his wrists and through his feet, placed a crown of thorns on his head, and they hit him again and again and again and mocked him as he willingly let him heist him up on a cross. And as they abused him, he looked up to heaven and prayed the most upside-down prayer you've ever heard. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then he became our sin. I don't, I don't know what sins are represented here today. I don't know. But the Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. I hope you can appreciate this. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. I don't know what sins are represented in the room here today, but I can guess. There are people in this room today, you've committed adultery. You've done it. Maybe you're doing it right now. Listen to me. He became your adultery. Some of you suffer from the temptation of sexual lust. You can't seem to break it and get away from it. He took your sexual lust. He became your sexual lust. We've lied. We've stolen. We've been greedy. And he took our lies and our thievery and our greed he took our pride. He took our envy upon himself. He became worldliness and bitterness and hatred. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took all of that from us. You say, well, I know, I know why he did that because, because I'm such a good person and I deserve it. And, you know, I'm special. And that's why Jesus became sin for me. No, the scripture actually teaches that without Christ, we have become the object of God's wrath. Postmodern American culture can't hear this. Maybe you can't hear it today. But you, outside of the bonds of God's redeeming grace through Jesus Christ, are the object of God's wrath. 
there's a reckoning day coming. The judgment of God is coming. You can play along in a post-Christian, post-modern culture all you want. But you listen to old Pastor Greg, who's got a little prophet in him. There's a day of reckoning coming. And without hope found in Jesus Christ, we are the object of God's wrath. You don't want him upset like that with you. He said that our best attempt at righteousness is as filthy rags. That's what the Bible says. Our best attempts at righteousness are as filthy rags. We use the term rag in our culture. It means just that. That's the best we can do. And then he says, from the cross it is finished. And the world went dark, and the world shook, and non-believers looked on, and one of them, one of the Roman soldiers who had crucified him at the moment of his physical death looked up at him and said, surely this was the Son of God. The first convert to a crucified Christ was a man who killed him. That's different. And for three days, everyone held their breath. And when they got there, the stone was removed and the tomb was empty because death could not contain him. The grave could not hold him. He was risen. And he is risen indeed. He is alive and well. And if that's truth, it changes everything. And you can't remain the same. So what have we done today? We've normalized it. What is the cross? Everything's normal, wide and broad. Everyone has just uh, kind of accepted it in a casual way. The cross of Jesus. Some people wear it around their neck. Some people wear it on a bracelet. Some people tattoo it on their arm. And not that that's a bad thing, of course, but we must never take the symbol of Christ's redeeming work in a casual way. It's serious. We were just on the broad path, kind of believing in God, but living just like everyone else. And here's the deal. If it's true, and I believe it's true with all of my heart, you cannot casually believe the gospel message. You can't do it. Can't do it. Let me put this statement on the screen. Religion says it's about what I do, but God says it's about what Christ did. Religion said that if I work really hard, he might love me. God says because he loves us already, we get to follow him. We get to be part of his family. We get to obey him. Religion says it's about me. God says it's about Christ. And this is the opportunity then that all of us have in a moment like this to stop striving after religious activities in some attempt to somehow appease the needs of God's own goodness. And we need simply to surrender our lives in a faithful way, receiving the righteousness that God has offered us. The Bible says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> free at last, free at last. Thank God we are free. And it gives us hope. Because it's not what you do. It's what Christ has done. Amen? I hope you have an ear for it. Let's pray about it just for a moment. Lord, we pray that in your presence today, the reality of the resurrection would make us different. That we would live in such a way that by your righteousness we would be changed and our lives would be counted for your glory in the kingdom that is to come. Now, friends, let's, can we just cut to it? Maybe there's some of you in the room today, you've been under the weight of despair. You felt like you're not good enough. 
you feel guilty for what you've done. You feel like you're not going to measure up. Maybe you're like me. I, I remember this in my own life. I, you feel the weight of your sin. You feel so bad. And you don't know how God could love someone like you. You feel bad. You feel the weight of your sin. And you need God's help. If that's you this morning, we just slip your hand up just quickly, lift it up, say, you know, that's me. I, I feel that. I know that. Let me ask you another question. I want to challenge you to be really honest. Some of you, you believe the gospel story casually. I did that. I admit it for years. I was in church and Sunday school every week. I believed in God. You know, the Bible says that even the demons believe in God and they're smart enough to tremble. I don't ever remember trembling. Believing in God for me, maybe like for you now, is a head knowledge. But there's a difference when you know him personally. And today, perhaps you're realizing the casual nature of your relationship with God and you want that to change. If that's you today, you say, I, really, I want to know God in my heart. I want to know him personally. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Good, 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 good. All over the room. Thank you so much. Now, perhaps you're still under the bondage of religion. You need the freedom and the forgiveness and grace of the Son of God. Others of you have believed it casually like so many in this world. There's a way that seems right, but it's not right. Maybe, maybe you identify with normal today. You're on the normal path. You recognize it. And today, more than a casual belief, you want a wholehearted, full-in belief that Jesus is God's Son, that His death and resurrection counts for you, that your standing before God is not based on your own efforts, but it's based on the goodness of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Here's what the Bible teaches, that when you call on Him, He will forgive your sins. He'll make you brand new. He'll fill you with the very same Spirit that raised Christ from the grave. You won't be normal anymore. You won't be on the broad path. You won't be living for the things that normal people live for because you're a supernatural being made right with God. You're transformed. You're a new creation. The old is gone. Everything becomes new. And sincerely, really, that could be why God brought many of you here today. You're in this room right now for this reason. We'll call it what it is. You need Him. And today's the day you surrender your life completely to Him. It's your time. It's your moment. You know it right now. You want to pray, God, I give my life to You. I turn from my sins. I turn toward Your Son, Jesus. I wholly and completely give my life to You, Lord. If that's your prayer today, would you just raise your hand up? Just raise it up just quickly. Wow. Wonderful. Now everyone praying aloud together as the family of God. Pray with those around you. Pray out loud after me. Heavenly Father, I turn from my sins. I turn to you. Jesus, save me. Make me new. I believe you died for me. And you rose again so I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I can serve you. Thank you for new life. I give you mine. 